0: That's a terrible call.
1: That
0: is a terrible
2: call. Brown and steal. Jalen. No! <laughs> Lowdown's candles out. Get your head to Tate and Tate and off the bounce to the basket. Come on, refs. Get with the game here. Another check in the win total. Taking us to, is it 9-0 now, Brendan, at home? It is. 9-0, beating the Denver Nuggets, getting some payback. But today, it's not just me and Brendan. Today, we're joined by Jared Weiss of The Athletic. Thanks for joining us, Jared. How are you doing today, man?
0: Oh, I'm doing amazing. I'm sitting in boxing traffic. There's no better way to look life.
1: <laughs> you know, I think the first time I spoke to you, you were sitting in traffic, too, and you had quite the stories going on. I believe, like, someone was walking on the freeway or some craziness. But, um... You um know, I don't remember.
0: I don't remember that, and only because it's such a normal thing to happen in Boston. (laughs) It's probably not the first time. It's probably not the first podcast I've done while somebody was walking in the middle of the street in front of my car. Right.
1: So Adam and I are big fans of your eye for the game. People can read your work at The Athletic, and they definitely should, yours along with Jay King and other Celtics covers. You guys do a great job of covering the team there. And you just put out an article today talking about the Celtics' win against the Denver Nuggets that they just played in last night. Ended up coming away with a 108-95 victory. And your focus really was on Jason Tatum, right? And him passing out of getting blitzed in the pick and roll. Um, To start, you, you mentioned that he said he felt like it was the first time he got blitzed in his NBA career. Adam and I both read that, and we're like, I'm pretty sure he got blitzed in the Miami
0: game, no? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's happened a few times, and I I just ran with him for the sake of making the narrative nice and clean, but, like, you know, like, it's it's happened before, but I think this was the time where they felt, like, between Brad brought it up, Tatum bringing it up that way, I think it's, like, this is finally maybe the week, let's say, where he's noticing that happening to him. And, I mean, the, the thesis of my story was that that is a big sign of the fact that defenses are now thinking about you like you're an all-star, where they're overcommitting and, and compromising their defense just to be able to take the body out of your hands. I mean, that's what the Celtics have been doing to some of the best scorers in the league, so that's a pretty huge sign of respect or a compliment, as uh, Kemba put it when I asked him about it.
1: Yeah, definitely a compliment. And I think that you did a great job of breaking it down and some of his playmaking that was happening out of it. Uh, Great passes, though. The video that you had put in was a great pass to the corner where Carson Edwards was wide open and happened to miss the three. Um, But aside from, from Tatum in this game, or if you want to include him as well, but going a little bit deeper than the blitzing, what were some of your other notes that you saw in this Denver game? And it's notable that Denver was on the second night of a back-to-back, even though the first game was against uh, the last game of David Fisdale's Let Knicks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what were some of your notes that you saw in that Denver game?
0: I mean, that'd be the biggest note right there. And you know, same with the Miami game. I and mean, you know, I wrote X and O columns coming out of both of those games. And I take sure to mention that because it's like, You don't want to disrespect the product on the floor and disrespect the effort that they're putting in. And it's not like when you're playing a team on the second end of a back to back, that they're like some sort of JV team. But there's certainly a reason why those teams folded pretty quickly in the fourth quarter. Um, And I mean, I don't know. The way Jokic was moving throughout the game, it seemed like he was conserving all of his energy for the fourth quarter because he barely moved. But, um, you know, the thing I mean, the big thing I noticed was that Jokic is one of the most unique covers in the league. And they do not really have anyone that's a really good matchup against them. Obviously, nobody really does. Um, but, you know, what's what's crazy about Jokic when he's playing really well, and I don't think he played that well in this game, but he still put up pretty nice scoring numbers. Um, but he just, whatever type of player you throw at him, he knows how to go at that player. So if you want to throw a big man that he can't back down, he's going to turn into a shooting guard, and they're going to start running like elevator screens for him, you know, which is a a play that the Warriors made famous before they were kind of a juggernaut team where they literally will send a guy cutting out to the three-point line from inside the paint and have two bigs literally close the door and slide together That uh, slide together to pick off the guy chasing him. And we saw Jokic do that, and I thought, I don't think I've ever seen a center in the history of the NBA ever run an elevator screen play. Like That's what point guards and shooting guards do. You know, so he was doing a lot of that stuff where he's running off the ball through screens to be a shooting guard. You know, that stuff is like, it's ridiculous to see a center doing that. You know, maybe Dirk Nowitzki is actually probably the only other guy I can think of, but I think I've seen him do that. But so, you know, Jokic is just such an enigma, and it was really interesting to see how the Celtics tried to cover him because they had, on that play, I think Cantor was trying to chase him around. I thought Cantor did, like, a pretty decent job when he was covering Jokic because, frankly, Jokic's style is actually a pretty decent matchup for Cantor because Cantor is a low-foot speed kind of guy who uses his hands really well and his hips really well. So, you know, that's kind of what Jokic says. So I thought they kind of overall did a pretty decent job on Ganner. Most of the shots that he hit were threes, um, difficult turnaround shots, stuff like that. And I think that was the other thing that um, I wanted to initially write about. It just I didn't think it really – it wasn't notable enough for it to make the story, but that was definitely the thing that caught my eye.
2: Another thing that was notable for me was that Shemi got a lot of minutes again today – well, yesterday, sorry – after his play against Miami, do you feel like he's currently and uh, his role above Grant Williams now? Or do you feel like they're competing for those
0: minutes? I don't think that Grant is going to lose too much minutes to Shem because um, Grant is mostly a five right now. There's definitely going to be... I definitely think there are some units where Shem is getting those minutes where Grant could get them. So there's a degree of that. Uh, but, you know, Shem is more experienced. You know, Shemi is a different type of defender. You know, Grant is like very much a a five man when it comes to being a defender. Like he does all the stuff that the center does as far as the reads, things of that nature. Shemi, he's more of a versatile wing defender um, who has the power to be able to handle anybody. And so Grant's role tends to be more important because the defense is so much being coordinated by him. And so I think that that's something that Shemi's not going to replicate too too far often because the only times that Shemi's ever in there as a you know, quote-unquote five is when rolling up against a team with someone like Giannis, where Giannis is playing the five, but they need someone that can move really well and is powerful enough to absorb his drives. So, you know, both of those guys, I think, have their unique roles on defense that they can kind of carve out for themselves in both nine minutes, and it's not going to really take away from each other. But, you know, the big thing is that Grant, on offense, also is operating as a five. He's really operating as a pick-and-roll guy for the most part, and he's pretty good at it. He's still learning how to do it, but he has the instincts of a pick-and-roll guy. It's very impressive. Well, Shemi is a floor spreading three-point shooter, and he's shooting the ball pretty well right now. He's pretty confident in the shot and has a pretty quick trigger, and, you know, I mean, they, they're, they're going to encourage Brad to take that three, and he's, what, over 23 now, I think. You know, it's not going to really... Like they're not going to change up the way they're playing because they're not hitting their shots. But at the same time, they do need to curate lineups. They're going to have a guy that the conference is going to make that shot. So they're not going to tell Grant, don't take that shot when the ball gets there. But if they need to have as much stretching as possible out there, they're going to choose Shemi over Grant in those situations. And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing so far.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Grant is still obviously yet to hit that three-point shot, even though he claims he wins all these three-point shooting contests in practice. I can't wait for him to hit three in his first game where he actually hits one. Um, But now Boston has very quality wins over uh, Milwaukee, Miami, Toronto, Denver, Dallas. They went to overtime against a Clippers team. I mean, right now... Are you feeling pretty confident in the ability of this Celtics team really making a run in the East? I know we're a quarter of the way in. Gordon Hayward is still going to come back, but it has to almost have overperformed what you were expecting, right?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think the team that I'm seeing on the floor is not that different than what I was expecting. It's the record. They just they haven't really lost that much. And a couple of these losses were incredible games. I mean, that Clipper that Clipper loss probably – Helped kind of define who the best team in the NBA is. If they had won that game, their record and having that mark you in, I think a lot of people would be talking about them as the best team in the league right now. Um, but the fact that their record's still strong, you know, they have the, I think, as of our conversation, the third best record in the NBA. And which, I mean, they're a game ahead of like 17. So it's like the difference between one game at this point. like there's no difference really. They're all on the same level, basically. But um, they're, winning these games as it should like facing teams like Miami and Denver, who are on the second night of a back-to-back and they're putting them away solidly, which I think is probably the equivalent of winning a tight game with those teams being, you know, not coming off of a back-to-back. But also it's like they lost Hayward and their offense has still been pretty solid. They haven't really had a major drop off. Tatum and Brown are stepping up. They're averaging 25 a night or so. Um, You know, with, with Hayward out of there, they always have dominant performances from, at least two of their big three that that they have currently healthy right now. And Dayward's the best playmaker on the team. And even with him out, they're still leaving the ball pretty well. And even when they're not moving the ball well, Jalen, Kemba, or Jason, they're able to create an iso or a pick and roll and hit their shots. So I think it's just like they're, this team is taking a lot of the potential I had last year, and they're able to actually execute on it just because most of these guys have gotten better enough that they're actually able to pull it off. Like Jalen and Jason are playing like all star players right now. Marcus Smart, you know, while he still has functioning limbs and muscles in his body, has been like a pretty solid offensive player. He's been, he's been scoring and playmaking at a starting caliber level on top of defense and intangibles that's arguably the best in the entire league. So they just kind of, pretty much everybody's playing like at the peak of their potential right now.
2: And that kind of leads us really well into the second segment. As Brendan mentioned at the start of the podcast, myself and him are both big fans of how you view the game and kind of the little details that you pick up on and how you portray them in your writing. So what we wanted to do is kind of do a segment where we get your opinion on what you expect nightly from each player and then what you're keeping a close eye on to praise or critique. And then just for a little bit of fun, if you've got nicknames for any of these guys in like your media circles. So, to jump right <laughs> in, we're going to start with Jason Tatum and what you're looking for from his offensive game, like his ISO scoring, his separation creation.
0: Uh, Well, so first off, for nicknames, um, I started calling him Deuce Senior now just because it was Deuce's birthday yesterday. So, I like Deuce Senior. Um, And Bird Chess is what Grant was referring to him as. I feel like. I like Birch has could come across as a good uh, good nickname for him, uh, but every, everyone, everyone just calls him JT. Um, not a lot of events of this. Yeah, you know, they call Jalen JB. They call him JT. It's what happens. Um, you know, something I noted, I think in that story was, and something I asked him about was his handle has changed. And you know, people that remember what he was doing last year, which a lot of it was really similar to his year, his days at Duke and his senior year in high school at Chaminade, um, was that. He was one of those classic, really long wings who had a big, wide dribble. So, like a big, kind of like, you know, classic T Max style dribble where it's like, you know, you kind of claw your, your arm around the ball, bring it up like above your waist, and it's like this huge, wide dribble. And so, the idea is when you cross it over, you're covering so much ground on that crossover that you're moving like a full, like step and a half away from the defender, and you're getting your separation that way. And that's really good if you're like facing up on a guy. And you want to do like a huge crossover or a big step back. And that's like a good basic move to have in your game if you want to be a, you know, like a really good score. But to make the next level of being a playmaker, which is what we're seeing Tatum doing now, is you have to be able to tighten your dribble up. You have to be able to dribble really low, put it in front of your body, and be able to control the ball with one hand as you're dribbling, being able to move the ball with one hand instead of those big crossovers. And you're able to mix it up more, and make yourself less predictable and make it so that when you're trying to get past two defenders, which is what you have to do a lot of the time, you don't have to pick the ball up and do like a Euro step or something like that. Because once you pick the ball up, you've got two steps left, and then you got to get rid of the ball. You got to shoot it. And Tatum always got himself in the trouble doing that last year. And so now we're seeing him do those tight, low dribbles. And that's how he's able to keep the ball alive when they're trying to trap him, which is what he talked about when I asked him about it last night was that Last year, he would, because his dribbles were too big, he'd have to use his body to protect the ball because it was taking him so long to get the ball between the ground and back to his hands, and there was enough time for defenders to get in there and try to swipe it from him. So now he doesn't have to turn his back to the basket anymore, which is what he said the defense wants him to do because they want him, once he turns his his back to the basket, he's got kind of nowhere to go. Now he's able to stay facing up, look at the defense, being able to continue to read, looking for ways to pass the ball, keep that dribble alive, and then he makes that pass. And that's the big difference for him. And that's why defenses, if they want to trap him, he's able to pass out of that. And that's how you become an all-star, is when defenses try to take away what you're best at, you're able to keep the offense moving, the offense doesn't bog down, and then eventually you compromise the defense that way. The defense decides, we got to stop doubling and then you get your one-on-one looks, and then you get to go to work. And we're starting to see that emergent Tatum. And if this keeps going at this rate, you know, he's going to be at a 25 to 30 point reach score in no time.
1: Right. And like you kind of mentioned, that's, that's a very good note. I had not fully noticed that in the same way. Definitely going to keep an eye on it. And the playmaking has been uh improved and he's been showing it off a little bit partially because teams are forcing him to but like in that New York game I think that first half was one of the best offensive halves I've seen of his career he he tied his career high in assists just in that first half and then ended up with only one more for the rest of the game but do you feel like that's an area that you're really watching for as well with that that playmaking and creating for others because he has that gravity and then I feel like you kind of have to mention his finishing around the rim, right? You, he has that length to be crafty with it, but he's at 44% at the rim this year. That feels like where he could take another jump, right?
0: I mean, okay. So like with his size and athleticism and his emerging power, you would expect him to get to somewhere in the sixties at finishing in the rim. That's like what another, probably like six points a game right there. So Leap from being a 20 point score to a 26 point score and getting towards the scoring title competition, that's just in becoming like an above average uh, score at the rim and also drawing more fouls to get into the line. I mean, that's a big part of it, obviously. Um, but to go to your first thing about the assists, so a big part, I think actually Stevens mentioned this, a big part of when you get trapped, you're not going to get a lot of assists, but you're going to get a lot of hockey assists because when you're passing out of the trap, it's supposed to be a two-pass maneuver from there. So you get trapped, then you have to throw it to somebody who's kind of hanging out above the three-point line that you can get it to, and then that person's usually able to whip it to somebody who's wide open. So if they counted hockey assists, which they don't, it's so frustrating because you can't, I don't know if, I don't think NBA stats has hockey assists anymore. I don't know if there's anywhere you can get hockey assists right now in the public domain, but those are the, that's what I care about more than regular assists because, You know, in this Celtics offensive scheme, you know, not a lot of guys are getting actual assists. Their scheme is is designed usually to force the defense to commit to you and then find a semi open player, pass it to him, who then passes it to a wide open player. So the hockey assists, I think, are the best barometer of offensive, um, you know, creativity and playmaking. And then just quickly on the finishing thing, um, he has the tools to be a good finisher. One of his issues is he cups the ball. He doesn't palm the ball. If you're able to palm the ball, that dramatically changes the way they're able to finish um, because it allows you to kind of put the ball out there further and closer to the rim as opposed to having to have the ball kind of cupped against your wrist and then kind of shoot it from there. So I don't know if that's ever going to really change with him. He has pretty big hands, so I'm not sure why he cups the ball like Dr. J as opposed to pawning the ball, but whatever, go figure on that one. he has to improve his left hand and know when to use his left hand versus his right hand. It's actually improving over the course of the year. And he had a really good finish where he drove down the left side, used his shoulder to give him space from the defender under the rim, and then finish with his left hand. You usually want to finish with your outside hand in most instances. He came up finishing with his inside hand usually. And his style was to jump early and then use his super long arms and his ridiculous like he's not he actually has told me he's not double jointed but if you look at photos of him outstretching his arms his elbow is bent almost backwards it's kind of crazy so he looks double jointed but he'll try to reach underneath the defender's arms get around them and do a scoop layup and he'll use the inside hand for that because you know it, it extends your reach even further but he's learning now that you don't always want to jump early you know, a lot of the times you want to try to get that defender in the air before you leave the air and then you get around them and then you jump after them. And that's how you really both create contacts, which he's gotten a lot better at, and two, kind of finish more consistently at the rim and lower your degree of difficulty of your finishes at the rim. So he makes a lot of really difficult layups, but he doesn't yet create easy layup opportunities. And he's going to get better at that. He's only 21 years old. It's like, that's a, those are the kind of things that you build over the course of your career. That's just stuff that I'm pretty confident he's going to get. It's the... And some of the uncanny skills that he has and the frame that he has, where he's growing to now in shoes, I think he's 6'10 now um, in shoes. So, or maybe six nine and a half in shoes. So like his size for a wing is like pretty incredible.
2: Sure, it has been super fun to see him start to attack the basket more as well, uh, especially after his mid-range love affair last year. So <laughs> I think that's the best way to word that. It, it's so
0: very good way to word it.
2: it's just interesting to hear how you're looking at what he can do next it's it's a great point for everybody to be watching throughout the course of the season and as you say as he builds on that throughout his career so moving on now we've got Jalen Brown I'm interested again you spoke about playmaking is that something you're looking at JB to start moving into that area now start looking to create for others more he does seem to have a better change of speed now than what he did previously. Have you is there anything you think he could do differently that could help him take that next step as well? I mean, he's made a huge jump this year anyway. And then obviously we're gonna want a nickname if you've got one.
0: <laughs> I've always wanted to give him like the professor nickname or something like that, just because he's like, you know, he kind of comes across like a, you know, like a scholarly guy. Um so there's I don't have a good one for him and people just call him JB for the most part. There's probably ba- one I'm basketball reference uh, has
1: old man for some reason.
0: <laughs> so yeah, so old old man is one that was used a little bit when he was younger. I like it. I actually I would like to call him old head because he he called Tremont Waters young old head, which I thought was one of the best nicknames I've ever heard. I feel like old head works for him, but old man works too. Um, it's funny. He's like a good candidate for uh, for an Uncle Drew. Uh, obviously, he'll never end up an Uncle Drew for other reasons, but like <laughs> you know, with his beard. You could put a little gray in that hair; he would definitely look like an old man for sure. So, yeah, old man is definitely a good nickname for him, but it doesn't get used very often. Um, But hey, we could try to bring it back. Uh, But as far as like the skill set stuff, I think the left hand was a huge thing for him. Um, He started to really integrate it. He also he made tremendous uh, steps in his ball handling this year. Um, He has made a pretty incredible transformation over his four years in the league. Uh, as a ball handler. I mean, it's hard to remember his rookie year, he was getting out of transition and dribbling it off of his knees. Like he literally could not put the ball on the floor. It was really bad. Second year, he started going in transition, was looking better. Last year, he was showing he could drive in the half court. It was a pretty good score, but this year it's all coming together. And this is why it's like, you gotta like, when you, when, if you're a fan and you're looking at a young player, you need to recognize it takes players six years at least to build up their skill set. If you're a rookie, you have four years to basically show this is what I'm going to be in the league. And then usually once they're getting to around age 25, 26, that's when their skill set starts to fully mature. And then the 26 to 28 range, that's when they physically and mentally mature and really hit their peak. And so Jalen's only 22. I think he's still 22 right now. He's young as hell. He's in his fourth season, and you saw the difference. You know, a lot there's a lot of talk about like how good is Jalen Brown really going to be. Jason Tatum's clearly the better prospect uh, coming into this season. I thought that was kind of ridiculous. It's like Jalen has shown every year. He's improving every single year. And he's you're starting to see a complete wing materialize. And the big, you know, the big thing that's missing for him is you don't see the playmaker potential that you see in Tatum. But with him, he's also a much better finisher at the rim, a much better high flyer, and he's a much better catch-and-shoot player. So – he might not have the exact same skill set that Tatum has, but he has a very nice complementary skill set. And those, I think, Brown called it uh, fire and ice last year or last night. And I, I like that description because you know there is not one type of wing that you can be in the NBA. Gordon Hayward is a very different type of wing than those guys too. The three of them, you're starting to see this year, their different paths as a wing are emerging, and I think they all complement each other perfectly. And that's why this team is so well-designed right now. And so with Jalen, you see that left hand starting to emerge, and now he's able to drive left and try to finish left. He's able to pass across to the right side of the court when he's driving left. And so last year, a lot of the time, he would attack from the left elbow and try to go down the left lane, and the defense would trap him, and he would just drive right into the trap and turn the ball over or pull up for an 18-footer, which is like a decent shot. But now he's starting to learn how to take his left hand and whip up pass to the guy in the corner and pass back to the top of the key and that's how they're keeping the offense moving and that's why Jalen is becoming much more effective because he's no longer a one side of the floor player he could play from both sides of the floor pretty equally and i think it's still very early for him in developing the left hand and there's a lot more room to grow for him in that regard
1: Jalen is recently 23. I looked it up in the middle of you talking there. And um, one of the things that has really surprised me just because it was such a critique coming out of college is that his three-point shot is just amazing. Like, I can't get over how confident I am every time that he throws it up. He's shooting 38.5% this year on upwards of five attempts. Um, And he's shown an ability to do that at times in the past as well. Um and to sort of combine the both both of Jalen and Jason, you know the Celtics are a top heavy team. They have a lot going on at the top. Those uh, first four guys in regards to offense, um, in Jalen, Jason, Gordon, and Kemba. With there being no Gordon right now, it seems like there's moments of one of those three guys running with the second unit. I, I've kind of thought that I think that Kemba should almost get an opportunity to do that a little bit more since he's used to having that load a bit in Charlotte, but it seems like they've gone to Jason doing that more. So now do you have a preference between those three and who you feel like is most ideal in being the only one out there of those three and running with the bench guys?
0: Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, Tatum, I think is usually the guy just because his playmaking is a little bit better than Jalen's. I think it depends on the defensive matchup, too, with those second units, for sure. So, you know, there's some matchups where Jalen makes a little bit more sense, particularly, like, um, if he's chasing shooting guards or off-ball high-movement players, Jalen usually gets that assignment. Um, So that's, you know, those are some instances where it makes sense. But I like the way that they're moving with Tatum in the second unit because Tatum has shown that he likes to get up-tempo, and he's really good at playing, you know, on like playing in transition. Um, he's gotten very good at getting the outlet on rebounds or off of loose balls and turnovers and being the one that pushed transition. He had a really good play where he, um, I think he like got the ball off of a steal in the left corner and got, you know, got out ahead, did like a long dribble to really push out ahead and then got two guys flanking him. And there was at least one defender ahead of him in transition and instead of dumping it to one of those guys where the defender could contest, he actually was smart enough to get it. I think it was a Jalen behind him, and then Jalen flew in and threw down that poster dunk. That was a huge deal, and that shows Tatum's playmaking and high speed is really improving. And it's those plays that make me think. I thought that Tatum would have like decent capability as a playmaker, but those plays are making me think that he actually could have much bigger potential as a playmaker. And so, continuing to give him those reps in the second unit where he's the primary playmaker a lot of the time. And it gives Brad Wanamaker the freedom to not have to be a playmaker because that's not one of his strengths. But Wanamaker is good as a secondary pick-and-roll guy or an off-ball catch-and-shoot attacking guy. And so with Tatum having the ball in his hands, I think that allows Wanamaker to play his game more. And so I really like watching the second unit because it's really interesting. It's kind of a glimpse in the future to see how Tatum would be as a playmaker in the future.
2: So while we're on the topic of second units and we've been speaking about some of the younger guys, I know that you're pressed for time so we'll try and wrap up the last two people we were really interested in getting your opinion on which would be Robert Williams and Carson Edwards. So with Carson Edwards we've seen that he's a confident shooter but he's he's patchy, he's having trouble there. He, He has started to drive to the lane more in the last few games which has been, for me it's been quite pleasing to see instead of just firing at will and then you've got Robert Williams that's getting more minutes at the moment but he does have poor defensive positioning at times he does rotate quite well sometimes uh what are your thoughts on both of those guys
0: you know I can do another 10 minutes by the way so we can keep going I'll, I'll try to go through these guys quickly but uh so I guess Carson's the tough one actually I don't have a great feel for what I project out of Carson um He's, you know, I think he's gotten to the league and we've seen that erraticism that kind of plagued him uh, when he was in school. And it was one of the reasons why he fell late in the draft. It wasn't just that he's kind of small. It was that he had some like great March Madness moments, but also it was extremely cold later in the college season. And I think a lot of people missed that and got caught up in the height of Mark, uh, hype of March Madness. And we're seeing it now where, you know, right now, a lot of the time he looks like he's cold and he can't really even get close to the rim. And then sometimes it looks like Eddie he looks like a sniper. So, you know, I assume that consistency is going to pick up. He is, his natural energy level is very unique. And I think the just that natural quick twitch energy that he has makes me assume he's going to stick around in the league. I kind of think of him as more of an ish Smith type. He seems like he's going to be a third guard in the NBA for the most part, um, unless he becomes a much better passer, but we're not seeing much passing feel. But just so far, he just, Sometimes he looks like like he's playing with gloves on, and the ball doesn't seem very confident in his hands. He'll go up for layups, like the layup doesn't come off right. Um, I think like his body is moving too fast for him sometimes, and he's got to kind of corral that and get a feel for that. Um, and also, just if you're an attacking point guard, that's probably the hardest thing. It's one of the hardest things a lot of the time to adapt to in the NBA. It's just that you're going into the trees and. They're just way more athletic, way more physical. You have to learn how to fly into guys and take contact and still finish That's all stuff that he's learning. But his mentality is great. He seems very unfazed by things. It's funny, when you talk to him, he's a very blank face. He's very emotionless. And it's hard to tell if it's just your bias from looking at him or if it really is how he is. But he just seems so emotionless, which is great for someone who's going to be a quick trigger shooter for most of his career. And so he's going to have a lot of nights where he goes one for six and you need him to keep shooting with confidence. So, you know, I've always felt that he's probably going to be a third guard and, you know, I mean, he's already showing that he can be used as a third guard as a rookie. So it's a long way for him to grow, but I don't really know what, you know, where his career path goes from here. Um, as far as Rob, Rob is a fascinating prospect. I don't really care about the turnovers in the backcourt off of, uh, you know, on outlet passes, like whatever, he'll figure that out. The, you know, the passing that matters is he shows in the front court he can pass in almost every way possible and that was something that I heard about being a useful skill of his in college I haven't seen that much of it and then he started showing it in the summer league and I was like holy crap this guy is, you know, just up throwing passes over his shoulder to the guy on the weak side elbow like that those are there's very few bigs in the NBA that can make that pass like that's insane and it's not like he's putting the ball over his head looking around and passing it he's just like flinging it like from his like hip pocket it's crazy so if he can do that i mean doing that out of the post up is really valuable if you can use him in the pick and roll where you're doing scroll scroll with him, so you pick and roll above the three-point line and then you slip the pass to him at the top of the key and he knows where to pass the ball from the two guys in the corners or two guys in the elbows or somebody cutting back door along the baseline if he can make those reads that turns him into a deadly potential player because he has the athleticism and the, and the power to be a full roll guy like Rudy Gobert, who does a, a, D, you know, a full rim roll into the paint and you lob it up to him. Like we know that he's going to be able to do that pretty well. He's already doing it pretty well as is. Uh, but if he can, if he can show some of that creativity on the roll that's where he can become a really scary player. Um, Cause we're not going to see him post up that much. And it doesn't seem like he can shoot and maybe he'll develop some shooting touch at some point. Uh, and then as far as defense, he could switch pretty much across the board. Uh, he's got a pretty good feel for how to drop, so, which is when, I'm sure most people are aware of that if they're reading my work, but dropping is when the pick and roll happens and you're the big man. Instead of going up to the screen, you go below the screen and you play zone, filling into the lane, and you kind of have to work to navigate the ball handler away from the paint. I think he's been pretty good at that so far. Not as good as Daniel Tice, but pretty good. And then obviously his shot blocking ability is just like stupid. Like you put up the ball anywhere near the rim, he can go and he can track it down. Um, learning how to rotate into the rim, I think he'll be pretty good at that as well. Going up with two hands and not trying to block the shot and just trying to use verticality to defend the shot, I think he'll be good at that. But so I'm looking at him as a potential good starter down the road, potential starter for them as soon as next year. Obviously, if they can get him into a starting player caliber as soon as this year that changes their ceiling significantly for their ability to try to run for the title this year.
1: Yeah. You mentioned his hands a bit and in, in that drop coverage, I've been extremely impressed with his ability to get his hands low in that passing lane. When people are trying to do that at uh, that pocket pass to the roll man, uh, I think his hands have been really impressive there. And obviously the athleticism helps make up for, maybe being a little bit slow on the rotations at times, but a guy that we don't even really need to talk about his defense. We all know what Marcus smart brings on the defensive end. My question for you comes on the other side of the ball. You know, he started shooting the ball extremely hot, but over the Celtics last 10 games, which Marcus did not play one of them. He's only 35% from the field, pretty much 36 and 22% from three. Um, do you feel like Marcus at this point is just going to be a bit of a up-and-down shooter at times? I know sh- a lot of shooting is confidence. It doesn't seem like Marcus quite lacks that. But what are your thoughts in regards to his shot? And people have also thrown around that they feel like he almost can have a negative impact on the offensive end in regards to him taking the ball out of the hands of the extremely other off uh talented offensive players that the Celtics have.
0: I think that, that last part's a little overblown, but there's um I think that's mostly people over relying on star power, which I think is something that's kind of overblown. But there's some merit to that we can get to in a second. Um as far as the shooting, I think one thing is just like his body's just like snapped in half. Like the dude is just the dude was just like way too hard to be playing and should have been taking some time off and he wasn't. I think that's I would I would chalk up most of that to him just playing hurt, um, and also that he he doesn't save his three point attempts for just the right shot, which is good in some regards and bad in others. Um, but I, I I think he's established himself as a average deep shooter, um, including off the dribble, which is way way harder than being a spot up shooter. Huge difference there. Yeah, don't forget he's shooting off the dribble. In isolation or pick and roll sometimes. A lot of those shots he probably shouldn't be taking, but the point is that he's able to do it. Now, when it comes to um the the like his fit in the offense, which is I'm glad you're bringing this up because it's like it's one of those things that requires a nuanced conversation. Hopefully I don't lose my voice before we finish it. I want to hear your thoughts on this too. Um, is that you know he so he takes a lot of shots that are a little bit messy. Um he also runs pick and roll a lot of the time, which is like his role in the offense is the one pick and roll. And if there is a lane for him to attack, he should be confident enough in himself to attack that lane. But there's a lot of times where he's taking contested threes. That's a bit of a heat check. And there's some times where he attacks a lane and he probably should reset out of it. And instead, he tries to go and score and he screws it up. And so it's a bit of a mentality question. And I think, you know, you guys should weigh in and tell me what you think about this It's like, Do you live at those four or five plays a game that should, that would be better served being used by Kemba, for instance, or something like that? Do you, are you, would you rather him not do that and lose some of that freedom and confidence that he has um, that makes him so effective and allows him to be really aggressive, swinging the ball and keeping the ball moving, which I think he's great at and is very underrated? Um, Or would you rather, tell him you need to maybe not play in the moment as much and mm. lose some of that creativity that I think is really great from him to make sure that you get that ball back to Kemba or Jason and Jalen I would I would err on the side of I love Smart's activity level and creativity enough that I think he earns his ability to take a few make a few bad plays a game um, for the sake of maintaining that level of aggressiveness
2: I completely agree. I'd rather him feel comfortable on the floor and not be worrying too much about, I have to pass the ball here or so I have to give somebody else their touches and more just play within play within the system where possible. But then if he feels he can get the shot off, then take that shot. Just because we want you to be comfortable on the floor. That aggressiveness, as you alluded to, is what makes him who he is. If you start trying to put shackles on that, then you You're hindering what he actually brings to the team as a whole. And we saw last year when players were unhappy with the amount of touches they were getting or there was confusion over whether they were able to take the shot or to pass the ball. It can cause problems there too. So personally, I'm more than happy with a few bad shots a game if it means we get the Marcus Smart that turns up every night and is a pit bull on both ends of the floor. Brendan, what's your thoughts on that?
1: I would agree. And I think it's hard to say the other way. I think you're bringing up a really good point here, Jared, that you can't, I mean, part of being overly aggressive and like you said, creative is some of these mistakes where people are just, what are you doing? Give it to some of the other more talented players are just part of it. And I, I don't think that you can take him away. I, I think Marcus is far from a selfish player by any means. I think that you mentioned he has oh God, right. He has a great playmaking ability as well. Um, so I, I definitely don't have an issue with it. And it, am I right? And I don't want to put words in your mouth that you're saying pretty much like this almost is just part of getting that aggressive Marcus smart.
0: Yeah, and you know, and, but there, and there definitely are some plays where I think Marcus just like he just went for a full heat check mode and stuff like that. But you know, a lot of it is like I was saying before, is that as the pick and roll ball handler, sometimes the lane just opens for you and you got to attack it and then take that shot. You should do it under control and you shouldn't just do it for the sake of the lane being open. But like sometimes it's just that the situation is set up for that he's the one that should be attacking and making the play. But I remember. This is where you kind of knew the conversation was getting out of hand. For one, when it comes to discussions in the public domain about um, uh, last second shots, there's a lot of people that I think are just idiots and I would just not listen to them anymore. That say the star player always has to take the shot. This is like obviously ridiculous. Um, I remember Chris Ball back when he was playing in New Orleans, I believe. There was a game, I want to say the playoffs against like the Lakers, where he passed it to someone, I think like Morris Peterson, who hit what was, would end up being the game winning shot. And there was criticism on ESPN the talking heads about why would like Chris Paul made the wrong decision by passing it up because he's a star. He needs to take the shot. It's like people latch on to the star concepts way too much. It's like all these guys can make plays. The stars are the ones that are better at making plays more often. So, like a great example is in the Sacramento game in Sacramento or Smart's floater rolled out. On that play, Kemba attacked. They trapped him in the box. So we kicked it out to Smart. Smart did a great job of immediately driving the lane and putting up a floater, and it almost went down. And I remember hearing people saying, like, Marcus Smart should not have been taking that shot. A star should have been taking that shot. So, no, the play was ran for the star to try to take the shot. The shot wasn't there, so he passed it to the wide-open guy. And the wide-open guy almost made a, made a great play and almost pulled it off. And that was just, it was just bad luck that it rolled out. And the, that was, that play was run perfectly. That was exactly what they wanted. They got a decent look and it just didn't work out. And whichever one of those guys was the all-star it doesn't really matter. They got a good look that almost went down. And that's, what all, that's all that matters in the end is creating these good looks. On the aggregate, it has some impact. If like the guy that's getting the wide open shot every single time isn't a good shooter. Obviously that has an impact. But when it comes to some of these very kind of micro situations, if you're able to create an open look against a good defense, then that's your win right there.
2: I had somebody message me telling me Marcus Smart shouldn't shouldn't be on the floor for that play, which was ridiculous to me. But So I do understand how um, people can blow that out of proportion. And sometimes emotions run high after like a miss like that. So I understand seeing people vent their frustration. But this is also a guy that the next time they played Sacramento, the ball was in his hands. It wasn't for the game, for the final shot, but it was with the clock really ticking down. And he hit that kind of semi-spin move. I think he tried to spin. The guy, guy tried to draw the, the charge. But it, yeah, and it probably was
0: an off foul, but whatever.
2: Yeah, it, really, it probably was. But it's testament to a guy like Marcus Smart that's Last time he played them, he had the game winning shot and it rolls out, but he wants the ball in his hands with 20 seconds left Again, game. So you kind of have to, as you say, it's not always about getting the ball in the star's hands. It's about getting the ball in the right person's hands at that time. It's also a testament for a guy to want the ball in his hands at that moment in time when the last time that happened, it didn't go his way.
0: Oh yeah, he uh, Smart's never going to worry about bad memories, that's for sure. He's uh, He's going to act you're going to act the exact same way every single time you give him the ball, which, which you know, sometimes you need some self-awareness, and that is a negative, but I think overall it's a positive.
1: Yeah, and very last thing for you. Do we have any nicknames on any of the guys that we passed over
0: here? Oh, uh, well, I mean, Time Lord's an obvious one. Right. Um, he doesn't I was, like that, I right? Uh, well, no, now he's fine with it, but at first he didn't like it. And I mean, I remember – being uh, being kind of in the middle of the debate over Time Lord versus Lob Williams, which Lobb Williams is something that he was trying to get uh, done, which I think was something that maybe existed already, but he didn't understand the, the Ritz man's importance in American society, let alone self-extinction. <laughs> like, if the Ritz man comes up with the perfect nickname, it's done. That's your nickname, and you got to live with it. And I think he's finally come you know, I think he's finally come to accept it because it's a freaking amazing look name It's incredible, and I think the important thing was, and he probably felt this way when he first got the King Time board. He probably felt like it was a sign of disrespect or something to be embarrassed about, but it was like almost in like a a loving way, and now nobody remembers like him being late and all that kind of stuff like that's that's like all in the past at this point, and so I think it's just funny how. The nickname came out of, like, this kind of, like, ridiculous, um, embarrassing situation for him. And, like, nobody even cares anymore because the whole fan fiction part of it of, like, how he's a time traveling and all that stuff, like, that's the part that kind of, like, lasted and took over. So I think that's pretty great. And then um, Carson Edwards is Boogie or Bug. Boog. Those people call him Boog. Um, that's been his nickname for a while. And then uh, Smart, Smarty, Cobra. Um, we actually I'll credit my roommate he came up with this for the lineup where Smarts at center with Kemba Jalen Jason and Gordon he came up with the Cobra 5 lineup which I thought was brilliant so I've been trying to get that going it's a deaf line it's like it's a deaf lineup but that was already the Warriors it seemed to be something unique so I think the Cobra 5 lineup is like the perfect name for that
1: right it sounds way more intimidating than the Hampton 5
0: for sure (laughs) that's true especially the (laughs) Hampton (laughs) 5
1: But yeah, Jared, we really appreciate you coming on and taking the time and anybody that's listening, definitely check out Jared's work on the athletic. I'm a huge fan of the X and O breakdown that you do. You really take that, that slant in watching games and, uh, can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing some of your, uh, insights from, from, uh, being close and covering the Celtics, man.
0: For sure. I appreciate you guys having me on.
1: Truly appreciate
2: it, man. Very much. Um, Guys, as Brendan said, check out Jared's stuff on The Athletic. Jared, you also used to be on Celtics blog, right?
0: Oh, yeah. That's where I got my writing chops in for years. So I was on Celtics blog until, I want to say 2016 or 17, maybe 2017. Then I went to USA Today and then eventually The Athletic.
2: So, guys, you're listening to where it all started for Jared. So make sure that you show him some love. I'm sure you all read his stuff when he was coming through and we'll catch you again later in the week Jared it's been great hopefully we can have you on again towards the end of the season
0: for sure guys have a good one you too
2: man you too